<clears throat> the title of my message is called Empire Builders. Now, my boys had a game they used to play that I used to always watch and kind of give them a hard time about. It was called Age of the Empires. Anybody ever played that game? And basically, boy, I got a lot of uh, excitement over Age of the Empires. But basically, you can go and you can choose whatever empire you want to build and you go on this map and you begin building your empire. And I used to laugh at them because I'd ask them what they were building today. And they, they would build, like they'd go to the woods and they'd cut down all the trees and they would build monasteries and libraries. And basically, however well you built your empire was how successful you were in the game. And so you would go in and you would, I mean, you would gather townspeople, you'd gather the gold, you'd gather the wood. And basically, you'd build your own empire. And it's really not too much different than what we've seen in the history of man. And so what I want to talk about today is empire builders. And I want to ask you specifically about your life. Uh, what are you building in this world today? What kind of empire are you building? And let me read a few scriptures here that are very interesting. And uh, it's the, I'm going to be looking at two different people, well, really three people's lives. But in order for me to show you how God wants us to build our lives, I have to show you the negative life first. Because sometimes the contrast between the negative and the positive is what makes us understand what God's calling us to be. And so it says in Genesis 4, verses 10 through 17, this is when Cain had basically murdered his brother. This is the first murder in the history of the world. So he's just murdered his brother, committed a, an offense that is um, uh, beyond anything, really didn't even have a good reason for murdering his brother. Uh, Cain killed Abel because Abel brought a sacrifice that was acceptable to God, what God asked him to bring. Now bear in mind that God had just made a covenant with Adam when Adam sinned. We don't know what the period of time was, but it was called the Adamic Covenant, the, the Adam Covenant. And basically it said, because of your sin, I myself, the God of heaven, is going to come from heaven to earth, and I'm going to shed my blood for you, Adam, and I'm going to die to, 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 to atone for your sins in order to show you how much I love you, number one, and what sin costs you, I'm going to actually die for you. In Genesis 3.15, he gives the first prophecy about him coming from heaven to die for man. So the gospel is beginning to be preached that through a woman, the seed of a woman, which is really impossible to do, it's a virgin birth, through the seed of a woman, I'm going to die for you. Now let me give you the symbol of my agreement with you, Adam. The symbol is... And an animal for the first time is going to die to clothe you, to cover you. Adam tried on his own to cover it with fig leaves. But God said, that's not going to work. My agreement with you is the sacrifice of that animal, the death of that beautiful, innocent animal will never take away your sins. It will only cover your sins until I die for your sins. It's a symbol. Cain refused to do that. Cain refused the covenant that God had made with him, so covenant he brought fruit of the ground. Abel didn't. Abel brought the expected sacrifice by faith because he knew that God was going to die for him one day. Cain didn't respect that. 
So Cain slew his brother in cold blood out of jealousy for who he was to God, for the sacrifice that he brought. So here we find ourselves, God speaking to Cain. He said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you're cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You'll be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you've driven me on this day from the face of the ground and from the face, your face will I be hidden. I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. So the Lord said to him, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken upon him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain, so no one finding him would slay him. Then Cain went, this is very critical, Cain went from the presence of the Lord. Now I want you to know something. Cain had an ability, there was a sacrifice available for Cain. The Bible says that it basically is waiting for him, but sin also crouches at the door to consume him and destroy him. Cain had every ability to stay in the presence of God. Cain had every ability to make the right sacrifice, but Cain willingly decided to leave the presence of God. And boy, this is big. Boy, this is big. It says, Cain left the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain had relations with his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch, and he built a what? City, and he called it Enoch, after the name of his son. Now I want you to notice here, he leaves the presence of of God, and then what does he do? He begins to build a city. Leaves, what did you say, I'm sorry? Yeah, don't nod off, I'm still watching. That wasn't the same kind of nod, all right? But he leaves the presence of the Lord and begins to build his empire named after his son. Then we go on. In fact, the period from Cain all the way to Noah is characterized by the family of Cain building. In fact, you look at the history of Cain and they became more and more wicked. By seven generations later, Lamech is a worse murderer than Cain was. Violence has filled the earth and these people are still building empires. And do you know that God through Noah came to the earth and God was so displeased at their empire building and the way that they behaved when they left the presence of God that he wiped the entire civilization off the map. In fact, so great was the destruction you can't hardly find anything left of that world. That world was so perfectly destroyed and it was an advanced Very advanced civilization. So advanced that we don't even know how they were doing some of the things that they were doing in that civilization. They were very advanced. But then after the flood, you would think that God wiped this out, but man has a propensity to build empires. They want to build empires. And so we see in Genesis 10 verse 12, or Genesis 10 verse 10 through 12, it says, the beginning of Nimrod's kingdom was Babel and Erech and Akkad and Cana, the land of Shinar. From the land he went forth into Assyria, he built Nineveh, Rehoboth, and Calah, and Resen, between Nineveh and Calah. 
That is the great city. Now we see this uh, son of Ham, which is the son of Noah, came off of the ark. Three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Shem, Ham, and Japheth had 16 grandsons. One of those grandsons was named Cush. Cush had a son named Nimrod. Within a hundred years, now get this, within a hundred years of God destroying all of the old empires, guess what man is starting to do again? Babylon is beginning to be built by this very wicked man named Nimrod. And Nimrod was a great hunter on the earth. In fact, they said he was such a great hunter, he didn't just hunt animals, it said he hunted men. And it says the buildings that he began to build, the empire that Nimrod began to build, I want you to imagine, how can you build buildings as big as Nimrod was building? I mean, these things are massive. Have you ever seen some of the ziggurats from the Mesopotamian area and then some of the um, pyramids that you see in Egypt and all these giant structures that were before the flood and after the flood? And you begin to see that these buildings are so big you can't do it on your own. He was a hunter of men. And in order to satisfy his craving for power and satisfy his craving for empire building, Nineveh or Nimrod began to gather in himself people. And on the backs of people and on the money of people and on the efforts of people, he began to build his empire and he was going to build it so big that he could displace God off of his seat. That he could literally take God and replace God in the heavenlies. And he was said to be the man who made war with God. His name means let us rebel against God. And so Nimrod wasn't just a wicked man. Nimrod wanted to um, displace God. He wanted to have a world without God. And I want you to begin to think about the world that we live in. There's a pressure in this world to live this world without God. Not even put God in your memory, not even put God in your thinking, not let let God ever be the answer to your problems or a solution to a question. God should never be a part of this world that you live in. And you'll hear that every single day of your life. And there's something about The city building. There's something that God makes a point of saying, Cain went and built cities. Then when it became wicked after the flood, he begins to say, Nimrod began to build cities. So what is it about building empires and building cities that made man wicked? Think about it. What's so evil about building cities? Greed is a part of it. The Bible says um, the love of money or the love of gain is the root of every evil, every wickedness. And something about this city building, if it gets inside of us, if it somehow gets inside of us, wickedness follows everywhere it goes. There's something about wanting to build our empire on this earth. There's something about this city. Let me give this to you. The Holy Spirit just kept speaking this loud and clear. Because God was no longer in the picture and they didn't want God in the picture. They had to build permanence on the earth. 
What does that mean? They had to make what they were building on earth to be permanent structure. Why do you think they were building pyramids with thousand ton stones? They were moving stones over hundreds and hundreds of miles that were thousands of tons. We still don't know how they did it. We're still trying to figure out how they built these giant structures. The most beautiful of their structures were early on, and after a while they stopped building them. But they were trying to reach into heaven, and they were trying to tell God, you will never drown us again. We'll never die again from a flood because our tower is going to be so high that you'll never drown us again. They were shaking their fist at God. They were building permanence on the earth to show God that we'll survive without you. It's the same humanistic spirit that says we can live in this world without God. Same humanistic spirit that's breathing in the Antichrist. The same demonic spirit that's in the Antichrist. The same spirit that's in the United Nations. The same spirit that's in work in the world today is we will live without you, God. We will not retain you in our knowledge. And it gets so ridiculous. It manifests itself in the scientist who says, I will never die. I will have eternal life without you, God. I'll cut, get this, they want to cut their head off and put it on a different body so they can live forever. They want to somehow become part human and part machine so they can live forever. Why not just give your life to Jesus Christ and you'll have eternal life? It's that simple. But no, I want to spend my whole life trying to figure out how to remove my stinking head and put it on something else so I can live forever. Now that's really wise. He said wise, they became fools. Environmentally, you say, oh no, don't say anything about the environment. I hope this section's comfortable. You want me to move that closer? I'm just messing with you. I'm just messing with you. Don't get mad at me. (laughs) But environmentally, don't go there, right? Environmentally, we've got to take care of Mother Earth because she's going to live forever. And if we don't take care of Mother Earth, how are we going to live forever? And so you begin to see this same... Not that it's wrong to be good stewards of the earth, it's good. But you see this demonic doctrine that the earth is going to be around forever and God said, no, look at the example of the flood. I won't destroy with water again because the next one will be with fire. It says everything that we see, every empire that we build, everything that we grow, do you understand everything is going to burn up? And we're spending our whole lives building empires of permanence on an earth that's going to burn up and everything that's in it. And the only thing that's going to be left is what's eternal. And then you see another character that comes on the scene. He was contemporary to Nimrod. Contemporary to Nimrod. His name was Abraham. Listen to this. Hebrews 11.8 says, By faith Abraham would call to go to a place... He would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were his heirs with him of the same promise. Listen to this. 
Because he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Wow. Here's a different building and a different empire. It's not a building or an empire that's going to be built on this earth. It's not an empire that's going to shake their fist at God and say, I can live without you. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph were looking for a city whose builder and whose architect was God himself, not Nimrod. Not the people that build the cities of this world and the empires of this world. God was building a city of his own. And it said when Abraham died, he still hadn't seen it yet. But in his mind, that's what he was going after. Every godly person from Adam all the way down to the very end was looking for a heavenly city. Meanwhile, the the world as we know it, the pagan world as we know it, the non um, Godly world, the ungodly world as we know it, they were trying to build permanence in a world that's not going to be permanent. Now let me ask you today, how many things in your life are devoted, how much of your energy is devoted to things that are not going to be permanent? Things that aren't going to last forever. Let me show you some of the trademarks of what they were building. Man's rebellion is what this is saying from the very beginning. Cain's rebellion all the way to Nimrod's rebellion, all the way to rebellion today, they look the same as it did back then. Genesis chapter 4, verse 16 says this. There, let's see. Number one, man's rebellion is leaving the presence of God. Exactly the same as it is today. Genesis 4, 16 says that he left, Cain left the presence of God. He went from the presence of God and settled in another land. This is where it starts, church. This is where it starts. And you say, well, I'm not really getting this whole story from 4,000 years ago or however long ago it was. I want you to stop and think about it for yourself. When I leave the presence of God, ever left the presence of God? You ever been a young person or a teenager or an adult or maybe even right now and you say, you know what? I don't want God in my life. And you do just like Cain and you walk away from the presence of God. You know what that feels like? I don't want to retain God in my knowledge. I want to build my empire. I want to build the empire of Chad. I need to be angled a different way. You sure? I don't mind. I really don't. Sure. Higher? A little higher. You guys look hot. I'm hot. Plus, it feels good myself. Are you serious? The highest? All right. There we go. How are we now? I'm the same as you. I'm burning up. All right. We're good. All right. <laughs> now, that's not good, is it? I got a story on that I'm not going to tell. All right. Leaving the presence of God, though, this is where it starts. This is where, do you realize the entire culture, when they came out of the garden or they came off of the ark, the entire world at that time served God and loved God? And and, and basically God was the center of everything. Cain was the first one that said, how do I know? Because Adam and Eve named their kids with expectations of a Messiah. They were expecting God to deliver them by virtue of the names of their kids. You could tell. 
Cain said, I'm leaving the presence of God and I'm going to build my own city. Think about it. Came off the ark and Nimrod, everybody is one family, one language, one word. They're all together in the same area, um, in this area in Mesopotamia, and all of them are together. And Nimrod says, I'm going to go and build my own empire. And begins to build his empire and build his own tower and name. I mean, he, he was the founder of the Babylonian Empire, founder of the Assyrian Empire, and most likely he was the one that instituted the first Pharaoh in Egypt. Did you know that? And another one of the, another one of the family lines of Cush even went over into India. And so here is Nimrod leaving the presence of God. And you need to put yourself there. Have I left? Let me ask you today. Have you left the presence of God? Because this is the wicked line of godless people. I didn't say, you know, I didn't. The the question is, are you godless or are you godly? The question now isn't all of these other things. It's are you godly, meaning I have a God and his name is Jesus Christ, or I don't have God in my life. There's two classes of people and that's it. Not how good you are, not what you've done, not all these things that people see you do. It's do I have God in my life or do I not? Have I left the presence of God? Second thing, Genesis 11, 1-9 says, The whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks. Very important here. Let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Now why would the Bible point that out? I'm going to talk about that in a minute. They specifically used bricks, and the Bible says they... Points it out. When the Bible points it out, it's important, right? It says they used bricks and not stone and tar for mortar. And then they said, come. This is what the people were saying when they built the Tower of Babel. Come, let's build ourselves a what? City. Back to city building. Empire builders again. Going to build another empire here. Let's build a city and what was on their mind with a tower that reached to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves lest we be scattered over the whole face of the earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. God was like, hey, I'm going to come take a look. And so we're trying to reach you, God. And God's like, you don't have to reach me because I'm coming down to take a look. You see, they're building it. And God's like, wow, impressive. Very impressive what you built here. Now, I'm going to destroy it. (laughs) But it says the second thing, number one, they left the presence of God. Number two, they were building a name for themselves. That's the second thing. What you're building in this world, are you empire building? Are you building what Abraham was building? Because I'm going to get in him in a minute. It's going to be the opposite of all these. Are you building a name for yourself? Think about it. Everything that you're doing, even when you do things for God sometimes, is it for you? Are you building a name for yourself or are you doing it for God? Is God getting glory or are you getting glory? When you raise your kids, are you building a tower to glorify yourself 
Are you raising the kids to glorify God? Everything we do, you say, well, it's church. Man, church is all for God. No, because the Bible says some of it's wood, hay, and stubble, and it'll be burnt up in the last day, and it won't last. And the Bible's asking us, are we empire building for a name for ourselves, or are we doing some other way? The third thing, they built with bricks. Wow, bricks instead of stone. I want you to think about that for a minute. Why would that be important? Bricks, I don't even know where my notes are on that. I'm going to have to wing this one. Listen to this. On one of the commentaries it says, there are four characteristics of bricks. Do you know that bricks, they were made out of clay? And basically they were molded in the exact same shape for every brick, right? And then they were baked in the sun, hardened bricks, they all look the same. How many have ever built with brick before? Brick, mortar, brick, mortar, or how mortar, brick, mortar, brick, mortar, brick, okay? Oh no, I lost one of my bricks. Not a problem. The next brick looks exactly the same. I lost another one of my bricks. No problem. All the bricks are exactly the same. Ever built with stone? And see, God builds New Jerusalem foundations built with stones. Now here's the thing about stones. They're all different. Picks it up and it's special. And it's unique and it's like that one goes right there. Then you got the next spot and you're like, oh man, what's going to go there? Oh, all the, the uh, mystery here. What's going to go there? Well, that one. That one's going to go right here. And see, let me, let me tell you the four characteristics this guy gives. Number one, bricks are unnatural and artificial. You won't find a brick in nature. And see, this is what the enemy does. The enemy took this dictator. The enemy took this man that we didn't want anything to do with God in his life and he began to turn people into bricks. He began to rule over people. He began to tell people they weren't unique. They weren't special. There was nothing about their life that was different. Why do you think we have the, the curse of abortion upon our nation? Because there's nothing special about that kid. There's nothing about that kid that's ever going to accomplish anything. There's nothing about that inner city kid that's special. So let's kill them all. Let's kill them all. They just are a a burden on on society, they're a burden on the people, so let's just kill them all. And this whole idea of the bricks, the bricks are all the same. There's nothing unique, there's nothing special, but let me tell you something. Every brick is made in the image of God He builds with stones. They're not worthless bricks. And what you begin to see with Nimrod is he made slaves out of people. The foundation of slavery is from the man called Nimrod, the guy that turned his back on God, the guy that built with bricks, the guy that took human beings and just brought them all together and said, build my tower that will reach into heaven. Second thing about bricks, they all have the exact same function and they will all work equally anywhere. 
I want you to think about this. When God builds His church, and we're building the church, I could build it with bricks or I could build it with stone. I could come into this church and I could say, I don't care about any of you people, you're all bricks. And we're going to build the house of God and if you won't do it, somebody else will. If you won't stand in this place, somebody else will stand in that place, but God doesn't do that. The Bible says God pours His Spirit upon the church. Amen. Hallelujah. Do you hear it? God pours His Spirit upon the church and He builds a spiritual building with unique gifts. And the Holy Spirit gives them severally as He wills. Because we're all unique. We're all special. God has a plan and a purpose for humankind and Nimrod had no plan. Nimrod was, gather them all together and let them work for me and we'll build a tower and we'll build a city and we'll build permanence in this world. And God says, no, that's not how you build a building. We go on. The last thing. They build this building and they get to the end and they're nearly finishing this building and God decides to come down and see what's happening here. What's all the commotion about? And some of you are going to get to the end of your life. Some of you won't listen to the words I'm saying. You're going to pour yourself into glorifying yourself, building your own city, building your own empire. And they got to the end of this project. They used all these resources, all these human lives, all of this energy. Think about the energy it took them to build these stupid things. And God came in, destroyed it in a moment, and there was confusion. Absolute confusion. They couldn't communicate to each other anymore. They couldn't talk to each other anymore. Confusion just covered the land. And you know what's going to happen? It's the same pattern with wickedness every single time. You're going to spend your whole life building an empire. And by the time you're done, you're going to lose your sons, you're going to lose your daughters. You're not going to have any communication with the people you work with. All the things that God intended to do in your life, confusion. And these people, at this point, the Bible says that they, there were no languages at that time. But now there was such confusion that they couldn't even stay in the same place together anymore. They had to spread out all over the earth because they all spoke a different language. Does that sound like the American family? Everybody's building their own little empire, aren't they? Everybody's playing their own spiritual age of the empires. They're building their own empire. And the next thing you know, everybody's spreading in different directions because we don't even speak the same language anymore. But then Abraham was different. In fact, let me go on a little further. Actually, I'm not up to Abraham yet. Wow. Wow. Romans chapter 1 talks about the worship of the creature. Now we go from man's rebellion into man's ambition. And what you begin to find with Nimrod, and this is really an interesting study if you ever get into it, but do you know that every every bit of idol worship, every false religion in the world came from Nimrod? You say, well, what happens when I leave the presence of God? What happens when I begin to build my own empire? You begin to worship yourself. You begin to sit on the throne where God originally said, Do you know that there was Nimrod? Now follow me here. Don't lose me. Don't fall asleep on me here. It's a little history lesson. Nimrod had a wife named Semiramis. 
They had a son named Tammuz. Say, well, why is this important? Because Semiramis, get this, there have been prophecies that God would send his son through a virgin birth and they were waiting for the Messiah. So Nimrod most likely married his mother who became his wife. He dies. She says she has a child and the son was born through her a virgin and was resurrected. So, he begins to say that he is God. And so the Babylonian gods and goddesses were born. The false religions, Revelation calls it the mother of all harlots, which Semiramis is that person. She's the harlot you see in Revelation. Now, they go to Assyria, but they all have different languages now. So in Assyria, you find the same three head of the pantheon of gods in Assyria are those three people. You go to Egypt, what do you find? The same three people with different names. You go to India, what do you find in Hinduism? The same three people in Hinduism. He became the mother of all false religions. She became the mother of the earth. And all through the Old Testament, you see them weeping for Tammuz, the son. You see them talking about people like Horus and Osiris and Ishtar and Ashtoreth. All of these different gods and goddesses came out of this union between Nimrod. So what am I saying and what's that have to do with us? Are you going to go worship false gods? Probably not. But you know what you probably will do? Worship yourself above God. And so they began in in Romans, it says this, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against godlessness and wickedness of people. They suppress the truth by their wickedness. Meaning when I'm wicked, I'm saying to God, I'm hiding the truth that I know to be true when I live wickedly. And I put myself as a God and I'm going to live any way I want to, whether you like it or not, God. And it says, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen and understood by what he has made. So people are without excuse, for although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish heart was darkened. Is this exactly what happened in Nimrod's day? Their foolish hearts became darkened. Do you know what the trademark is of false religion? Sexual immorality. Everywhere you follow the cult of false religion, Sexual immoral behavior, homosexual behavior, um, taking a marriage and doing something beyond marriage between a man and a woman, whether it's multiple partners or whether it's homosexual, it's the trademark of the religion of Nimrod. Because Nimrod said, I'll do what I want. Whatever feels good, I will do. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of immortal God for images that looked like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts. He gave them to sexual impurity. They degraded their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the Creator rather than the, or the created rather than the Creator. 
who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to their lusts. Even their women exchanged their natural relations for unnatural relations. Same way men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received themselves a due penalty. So as you begin to follow every false religion, remember, Baal is actually Nimrod. Ishtar actually goes back to Nimrod. All of these false gods of the false nations, Dagon, goes back to Nimrod. So what about the other half? How do they live? Abraham. Abraham lived at the time of Nimrod. And get this, Noah was most likely alive the first good portion of uh, of Abraham's life. Noah and Shem lived in an area. Uh, There was um, Abraham. There was Nimrod living in another area. And Abraham was totally different. In fact, uh, when you begin to look at... um, Begin to look at Abraham's city. Whereas when I look at uh, Babylon and I look at Nimrod, I look at Abraham's city. And Abraham's city was not a permanent city in this world. Abraham wasn't building a city that could be destroyed. Abraham was going to a city that would live forever. God's presence. Do you know that Abraham wouldn't go anywhere without God's presence? One is leaving God's presence and happy to do it. Abraham is asking God, where do I go? And you tell me and I'll go there. Everywhere Abraham went, God's presence went with him. Building a name for himself. Think about this. Nimrod was building a name for himself that would last forever. Listen to what the things that God's people say. This is David. But God loved David so much. He was building a name for God. Everything David did was to glorify God. Psalm 34.3, come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. You guys see the difference? They're building a tower to build their name. Are you living your life to make yourself look great? Are you living a life to make God look great and God's name look great? Psalm 66.2 says, Let's sing about the glory of God's name. Let's tell the world how glorious He is. Psalm 105 says, Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim His name. Make known to the nations what He has done. Psalm 145, a psalm of David, I will exalt you, my God and my King. I will praise your name forever and ever. I will praise you every day, yet I will praise you forever. Great is the Lord. He's most worthy of praise. No one can measure His greatness. But do you see what the ungodly are saying? God, we don't want you to be a part of our life. God, you are not great. God, we'll take you off of your throne. God, we don't want you to be a part of our life. God, we want to live eternity without you. Be careful what you ask for. Because that might be exactly what you get. Praise the Lord. So building a name... Confusion. As they began to fulfill their dreams, there was dramatic confusion. You know what the opposite is of the confusion of languages? It would be really cool if there was a moment where 70 nations came together and they all heard the same language. Do you know that Pentecost was to be 
an example of the opposite of Babel? As God's Spirit began to move upon His people, they all heard their own language. It was the opposite of the confusion of Babel where God says, when my Spirit's upon you, see at Babel, God had to separate them because the work they were doing, there was no limit to what they could do. But at Pentecost, God said, no, I'm going to put my blessing on this. Go to the ends of the earth and do your work. This is my desire. And God took away the confusion and said, now you're one in my spirit. Now I want you to do what I originally said. Go to the ends of the earth. Fill the earth. Fill the earth with my glory. Send my name all over the earth. Tell them that my name is great. Tell them that I'm wonderful. Tell them that I'm loving. Tell them that I I care. And it's the opposite of what Nimrod was doing. The name of God was to be advanced. No confusion. Worship of the Creator. Abraham is not going around building things for himself. He's building altars. When we bring a child in here today, we're not taking that child and saying, I'm going to name a city after him because of his greatness. What we're saying is, God... You gave him to me, I'm giving him back. God, everything that I have, I devote to you. We build altars. and We say, God, thank you. God, I love you. God, you are great. God, be great through this young man. Not make him great so everybody can see how wonderful my name is. That's not what God's called us to be. (laughs) 1201, man, I'm doing great. False religion, the mother of all false religions. Now surely, I can't make a correlation with Abraham on this one. Abraham is the root of all true religion. It's just happened to work out that way, I'm sorry. That's just how it works out. Perfect. Abraham is the father of all true religion. What's New Testament say true religion is? That God's Spirit is so hard upon you, that you're actually out even taking care of the orphans and the widows, the people that don't have somebody. Nimrod, well, Nimrod was the opposite. Nimrod would crush the weak to build his tower. He would make them all look exactly the same. He would kill every baby just to get to God's anointing. But God's the opposite. True religion was we love God so much that there's not a single human being in this world that we don't love. We're going to try to reach all of them. We're going to try to save all of them. We don't want a single one aborted. We don't want a single one hurt. We don't want a single one hungry. And and we can't do that. But if we bind together in that spirit of the Holy Spirit, that Pentecost, if we bind together, God's going to send us to the ends of the earth to help as many as we can possibly help. Amen? Praise God. Unselfish worship. You know, the problem with Nimrod wasn't that they worshipped. It was just self-worship. How many know that everything that Jesus taught was unselfish worship? Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? He says, well, let me show you. And he began to wash their feet. They said, the least is the greatest. The one who serves the most is the best. He said, Nimrod's like, wait a minute. I'm the mighty hunter. I'm the greatest. He said, no, you're the last. You're not the best. You're the least. Your empire is nothing. Your empire is shattered. The greatest is the one that serves the most. And you know what? When the kingdom of heaven comes, that's exactly what we're going to see. The greatest will be the least. 
eternal buildings. Man, they tried so hard to build eternal buildings. You know, the people that I pour into with the resources of heaven and I build people up, every time we build people up, how many know that's eternal? We're building spiritual buildings. You say, well, let's put that in practical play. I can build an empire to myself where everybody thinks I'm greater. I can pour into my family. Which one's eternal? You tell me. I can ignore my family all the time to build my empire, make myself look great. You say, well, I don't have any kids. Well, you have a mom, you have a dad, you have people that go to church with you, people that work with you. So you're going to either choose to pour into people, which are eternal buildings, or you're going to pour into yourself and make yourself look great. And Abraham, do you know Abraham poured into people? You don't see Abraham out building cities. You see a nomadic wanderer who took care of people. He said, how much he take care of him? He gave his life to go help Lot and his family and literally saved their entire family. He had 300 and something household servants and he went in and fought four kings. And by the way, those kings were considered giants. Pretty loving guy. But he didn't have an empire like Nimrod did, but he loved people, so he has eternal buildings that still last to this day. And that's us. I'm almost done here. Hold on with me. Don't fall asleep. Don't tune out on me. I'm going to skip to the last one. You want to talk about how beautiful Nimrod's buildings were. It's the jewel of kingdoms, right? Some of you have never thought about how beautiful the city is going to be one day. The city that Abraham was looking toward, I can't even do it justice. Revelation tries to. But you know this thing is 1,500 miles high. 1,500 miles wide. 1,500 miles deep. And I can't even begin. Let me give you some things that try to explain it a little bit. This is new Jerusalem that we're going to inherit. This doesn't include the new heavens and the new earth. This is just new Jerusalem, the city. Pretty good city here, right? Listen to this. The new Jerusalem is not just a big square, it's a cube. The highest mountain on earth is five miles tall. Think about that. But new Jerusalem is 1,500 miles high. Think about it. Five miles high, the tallest mountain... 1,500 miles high, our city. By the way, gravity is not going to have a hold on us anymore. I'm, a, I'm already more excited about this city than Nimrod's. Nimrod is just a Nimrod, right? Isn't he? Listen to the length of the city. 1,500 miles and walls are 200 feet thick. The city is 3 billion cubic miles. The 1,500 miles long on each side, by way of illustration, one corner could be on Los Angeles, the second corner would sit in Mexico City, the third corner would be in St. Louis, Missouri, and the final corner would be in Alberta, Canada. The city, if the city of New Jerusalem rested where the current Jerusalem was, it would stretch over three continents from Greece to Iran to Saudi Arabia to Libya. The current city of Los Angeles has 468 square miles. The state of California comprises roughly 164,000 square miles. But New Jerusalem encompasses 2 million square miles. 
It's equivalent of 14 states of California put together, or 4,800 cities of Los Angeles combined. I'm pretty excited about this city. The city has gates that are made of single pieces of pearl. It has a city that's completely made out of gold. It has a river that's crystal clear that runs through it. I mean, this city, I can't... They said uh, when you look at the city, it lights up the entire universe, and it looks like a diamond. That's the city that I'm inheriting. That's the city that Abraham was looking at and couldn't get out of his eye. That's the city that every person of faith is working toward. So if you want to go on and keep building your empire here, go right ahead. I'll take eternal life. I'll take the city. I'll take all these things that God has promised me because I have a better future. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet.